This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is January 23rd, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Uh, my name is Rick Von Brook. Uh, at Hofstra, I went by RVB, which is just my initials. And what years were you at the radio station? It was um, 1965 to early 1967. Okay. Do you remember any of the shows or the programs that you worked on at the station? Um, in that time frame, I don't think there was, uh, I don't think I was on a show. I, I, I did some engineering work and, uh, you know, I have my license. Um, when I got back out of the army in 1970, I went back or 69. And then I did a uh, Saturday night folk music show called Shades of Folk. Cool. And I, I think that show was continued after I left. We we left to go out of the out of the state. Uh, I was married at the time. Okay. Um, when you worked at the station, did you have any titles or positions of management? The first title I got, well, I got a title like the first day I was there. I I, I told uh, whoever it was, I think it was probably Dave Lamble. I said, I'll, I'm, I'm ready to do anything because I just want to be, you know, in the radio situation and, and find out about it. And uh, the first thing they gave me was record librarian. Oh, cool. And that was, I didn't know, do much actual librarian work. All I did was I screened the incoming uh, freebies that the company sent us and decided if we need to play them or whether it was too rock and roll. We didn't play rock and roll in those days. Right. And right. We had a, a massive classical library that I don't think anybody ever touched. That Well, we had a classical show, I think, but. Nobody else ever touched it. I never, I never touched it because I, I'm not into classical music. Then uh, I became the continuity director. I got to type the logs every day. That was a fun job. <laughs> <laughs> he said sarcastically, and, yeah. But, you know, if if you didn't do it, they were in trouble. Somebody had to do it every day, you know. and so, And that was fun. I, I did a lot of uh, just plain hanging around, a lot of uh, fraternizing with everybody, you know, and we'd uh, play around the studios sometimes. I was in the studio one time, and, and we just had it, uh, the sound turned on locally. It wasn't broadcasting or anything. And I was I was kidding around, and I, I did a pretend uh, station identification and it was like, uh, you're tuned to WVHC 88.7 in Hofstra University, Hempstead, New York. And I was just kidding around, you know. And uh, Marilyn Krauss came running into the studio. She said, who was that? Who was that? And I said, it was me. And she said, well, you're now an announcer. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to do a little bit of announcing, but not much. But it was fun. 
when you were on the air, did you, or, or when you were engineering, did you, were you known as RVB or did you use your full name on the air? I used the RVB most of the time and that's what people knew me as. Okay. So what was it that first brought you to Hofstra Radio and how did you find it uh, nestled there underneath the little theater? Well, there was a, there was some kind of identification on the stairway that, said it was WVHC, I think, as I recall. But I knew there was a radio station, didn't know where it was, and I just found it and went down the stairs and said, let's go, you know, see what we can do. Cool. Did you go to Hofstra with working at the radio station in mind, or was that the two separate ideas? No, no. I didn't even know they had a station before I went to Hofstra. Okay. Did you did you have an interest in radio and music uh, before coming to the university? Well, when I was in when I was in high school, I was a I was a volunteer with the recreation department in our in our town, Oceanside, New York, and uh, I did a lot of the sound for them. I I set up the sound systems for dances and skating, and I played the music, and then they they formed a uh, a DJ club under the auspices of the recreation department. And there were about five or six of us that were interested in radio. And we had an advisor who would apparently worked in radio at, at one time. And uh, the first thing we did was we took a tour of the WGBB studios, which were in the second floor of a retail building in downtown Freeport. And the DJ that was on showed us how to cue a record and things like that. And I thought that was the greatest thing since sliced bread, mm. you know, how to cue a record. So it starts up the minute you turn the turntable on. And uh, then I didn't really think much about it until I, until I got to Hofstra and found out they had a radio station. What was it that that made you want to, uh, you know, play DJ for uh, for the dances and for the the skating rinks? Were you really into music? Was there someone who influenced you in that way? Yeah, I was into music pretty much. Uh, the music at the time, I I must have been into it a lot because I have a lot of uh, trivial knowledge of radio from uh, from music from that that era, and. Uh, you know, people people come to me and ask me questions about who recorded a little bit of soap, mm-hmm. and I tell them it was the Jarmels. You know, and nobody nobody knows that. <laughs> but uh, so I must have really been interested in it. We used to we used to be sing a lot. You know, just when we were hanging out together. Hmm. Um, and I'm still interested in, in music, so it's. It stayed with you the whole time. Do you remember any of the radio stations that you were listening to uh, as a teenager before you came to Hofstra? Uh, there was Murray the K on uh, WINS. There was Dan Ingram on ABC. There was Cousin Brucie. I forgot what he was on. Alan Freed, of course. I don't remember what station he was on either. So these were the, 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 the pioneering rock and roll DJs. I mean, you just, you just named a, a Hall of Fame there. So, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, those were good times. And Dan Ingram, uh, apparently Dan Ingram had a, 
recording studio in his house. And he did a lot of uh, voiceovers for commercials and things. And I remember when I was in Texas, I'd hear a commercial and I'd say, that's Dan Ingram. Mm. And I recognized his voice, you know. Yeah, he's one of the best ever. And it's if, if, oh, you, he if, was if great. you knew his voice, you'd recognize it anywhere. Yeah. So so you get on campus at Hofstra. What, what were you planning to study at the time? I was a business major, and I I consider that the biggest mistake I ever made. Is that is that because of your uh, your discovery of the radio station or other reasons? It was because I I didn't really like it, you know, and and I went through my whole life not liking it. Uh, I I I didn't think that the uh, academia was. Uh, really indicative of what real life is worth was was like, you know. I always figured you know, when you start a job, it's mostly on the job training anyway. You know, you don't really have to go rely on what you did in school. But I I listened to my father. You know, my father said you need to major in business. And uh, my first year at Cortland, I was a, a recreation major because of my experience with the recreation department in Oceanside. The reason that I didn't go back was because I spent too much time recreating on my own (laughs) (laughs) and I didn't do enough study. And the same thing happened to me through most of my career in college. I, I found other things that were more important. Like the radio station at Hofstra. Like the radio station. So, so you got this introduction in high school to WGBB, and you said that really impressed you. Now, you find your you find this sign for WVHC, and you go down the stairs underneath the little theater. What was the radio station like at the time? Can you describe it? And do you remember anybody who you might have met in those early days? Well. I'm sure I met Dave Lamble. I th- I'm pretty sure he was the first person I ran into down there. And uh, people have described it as a dungeon, and that's what it reminded me of. I mean, you go downstairs, and there was a like a little reception area that had a desk at one end of it, and that was the office. And then you walk down the down the hallway. There were, Record library and record library was this big closet on the left. Uh, Studio B was on the left. They tell me that somebody told me that that was once a vault. Now I don't know what was there mm. before us, but uh, and then you walk straight ahead, and there's uh, Studio A was on the right, and then the master control was at the end of the hall, and that was a big big room with all the equipment in it. I met a lot of people, and I couldn't tell you exactly when I met them. You know, I met Gary Armstrong and Marilyn Cross, and uh, Ted Ronneberger was our engineer, chief engineer. Um, some of the other names that haven't shown up anywhere else were, uh, there was uh, Lynn Gesualdo, uh, Steve Spivak, they married. Mm-hmm. Um Public relations guy, I can't remember his name. Um, 
that's pretty much it. The, the, the ones that I can think of. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, the, the, the layout and you mentioned at one point being the record librarian. Were most of the records in, was it Studio B and not in Master Control? Is that right? Can I... Uh, the record library mainly was, uh, classical music. So nobody spent a lot of time in there. I think we did have one classical show and I can't remember who did it. Hmm. Um, most of the stuff that was used a lot, uh, folk music and, uh, popular music of the day was, was all in studio A and big shows surrounding the studio okay that makes sense so so you go down to the to the station and you meet dave um what's the process in terms of getting on the air how did they teach you how to work the board did they teach you how to go on the microphone what was what was the the process like at the time it's pretty much informal you 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 grab somebody who, who could explain to you what was on the board and how to work the board and uh, you had to go get it in New York City and get a license, a third-class commercial license, which was very simple to get and pass an easy exam to get it. And then we spent a lot, we we did a lot of uh, just hanging out in those days. Yeah. And we were we were in the studio one day when uh, we were doing doing nothing else important. And we had the system turned on. It wasn't broadcasting, but, you know, you could hear it throughout the studio. And I was just kind of kidding around. I did a a phony station ID. It was kind of like WVHC Hempstead, New York. And I didn't think any more of that. And all of a sudden, Marilyn Krause comes running in. She was the chief announcer. She said, who was that? I said, it was me. And she said, well, you know, an announcer. <laughs> so that's how you got to be an announcer in those days. And and do you remember your first time getting on the mic live? Uh, if not specifically then, were you nervous before you got on the air or was it just something fun that you were, you were confident in? I think getting on the air, I wasn't nervous at all. You know, uh, working the board, I uh, was a little bit nervous, but not really that. You know, it was just you're afraid you might turn the wrong pot at the wrong time, and um, that never happened to me, fortunately. Mm. Um, I didn't do a lot of announcing that that time. I I did a lot more later on after I got out of the army and went back. I uh, no, actually, I had a couple of shows with. Uh, my news director, Steve Rosenfeld, and I did a couple of shows. Um, we did a man on the street show where we took a tape recorder and went out and interviewed people on the street. Wow. And we had, a, we had an interesting experience with a young lady, uh, probably early high school age. And uh, we told her what we were doing and we asked her a few questions and she asked us when it would be on the air. And we told her, well, we think it's going to be this day and this date. And she pulls this TV guide out of her purse. And that was her daily record of things, <laughs> you know. 
<laughs> she, she looked it up and made sure she made a note there that she'd be on the air. I forgot what the question was we asked her. Uh, we asked, you know, relevant at the time questions. And then later on, uh, the list, let's see, 1966. We started broadcasting two hours earlier. We had been on from six to midnight. Mm -hmm. And uh, we started at four o'clock. And we had a show that was on every day, and it was called Q, C-U-E. And we had a lot of fun with the announcers explaining to be careful when you say, be sure to tune in for Q. (laughs) (laughs) that that was a lot of got a lot of laughs out of that one oh my goodness and uh, different people did hosted different nights steve and i did uh, friday night and it was kind of like a uh, i don't know if you ever heard of bob and ray on nbc sure yeah years ago and it was the kind of thing we tried to do on friday we told jokes you know and stories and Long, pointless stories and all kinds of things. Sounds perfect for radio. Um, I love the, the the man on the street interview kind of thing. Were you doing that near the campus? Where were you going to, to talk to people? Um, I can't remember. I know I know it wasn't on campus because that, that young girl was not on the campus. Mm. I don't know. We're, we're probably local uh, communities just walking down the street and that's uh, that's fun. I mean, it, it's whatever the generation. I think a lot of things are 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 the same. You know, going out and mingling in the public and and talking to people and finding interesting things. And then uh, I think it's hilarious that her schedule was the TV guide. I mean, the equivalent oh, yeah. today is a smartphone. You know, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna put that in my smartphone. I'm gonna put it in my calendar. That's what she had at the time. That's that's funny. That's clever. I like that a lot. That's very cool. yeah. I thought that was that was kind of strange, but um. so I want I want to go back to to you. You know, you're studying business, but you're spending all this time at the radio station. What did your What did your folks think of you spending time at the at the radio station? The, did they see it as a distraction or something good? Uh, I don't know. My my mother had passed away oh. by the, by that time, and uh, I was living with my dad. And he didn't really pay much attention to me, you know. So he was uh, he was dating, so that kept him busy, you know. And uh, he didn't see me much, but uh, never never did complain about it or anything. Okay, so so you're spending all this time uh, at the station. It sounds like you fit in. Uh, to the culture of the radio station pretty quickly, like probably within a couple of weeks, couple of months. Does that seem fair? Well, it, it was it was easy to do because the people were were just great people. I mean, wonderful people. They were so friendly, and everybody helped you out when you needed help, and um, never really made anybody that uh, that made me mad or anything. It was just. Uh, so easy to get along with everybody, but I I've discovered uh, 
it started then, and I found out later on when when I uh, my wife worked at a radio station in in Wyoming that radio people are crazy, <laughs> but they're a lot of fun. Amen. You know, and and they're all very friendly people, and you can't get around that. <laughs> yeah, there's something about. Uh, people who go into radio that, you know, they, they want to express themselves in some way and they want to communicate in some way. And I guess that, that translates into, to off the air as well, that, uh, that you're looking for fun people to hang out with. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You've talked about a few people, uh, you mentioned Dave and, and Gary and Marilyn. Uh, what about Jeff Krause? What were your first impressions of, of working with Jeff? Jeff Krause, um, had a certain air of uh, pomposity about him, you know, but, but it was really deep down. He was a down to earth guy. He, he would give you the shirt off his back. And uh, if there was, if you were at the station and it was during reasonably normal hours, if there was five seconds of dead air or if somebody screwed something up, you knew the phone was going to ring mm. <laughs> and it'd be Jeff, you know, saying what the hell's going on. But, but he never, uh, he would get mad about things, but he never held it against anybody. He never was nasty to anybody that I know of. He's just a good friend. Hmm. One of the themes that, that I've, uh, many people have spoken about over the ages about Jeff is that he was, he's a little bit tough to get to know, but once you did, he was he was a good educator. He was a good mentor to a lot of people and a good friend to a lot of people. Um, right. Do you, do, was, right. Was there a moment or a time where you thought, okay, I get this guy. I, I see where he's coming from. I'm, I, I see, you know, what this relationship is. I never really thought about it that way. I think it just came naturally, mm. you know. You 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 might have been a little bit afraid of him at first because it was his nature, but when you got to know him, it just you could walk up, you could say anything to him, you know. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you want to go into this too much, but you mentioned uh, going into the army, um, so you would have left for a couple of years and, and come back. Do you want to talk about um, your time away at all, and and eventually coming back to Hofstra? Uh, yeah, I, uh, because of the fact that my, that my academic side suffered greatly, uh, my draft board got a hold of that. Mm. And in 1967, I got drafted. Um, and I had already enrolled for the spring semester, but it was too bad, you know, um, and I was the student station manager at the time. Mm. Um, I think I was thinking the other day, my last, I don't know if it was my last official act or my last unofficial act. Uh, I didn't have keys to the station anymore. But we had a uh, farewell party for me at Bill's Meadowbrook, uh, which we called Studio D. <laughs> and... Uh, as we were all leaving that night, it was snowing like crazy. And a few of the people that were with the station 
uh, said, you know, we got to get on the air and some, so we can warn people about whether school's open and all this other good stuff because this looks like a storm's going to be a bad one. So I went down and I did my uh, impersonation of Ross Berman. <laughs> and this is how he did it. I stuck my arm through the mail slot in the door. And I reached around and unlocked the door from the inside so that everybody could get in the station for the to prepare for the storm. Hmm. And I was gone. <laughs> so uh, I spent uh, two years in the Army. During that year, I, I married the love of my life, who I met at the Hofstra radio station, uh, and got married in Hawaii, and went back to Vietnam for another three months. Uh, and I came back to Hofstra, and I talked them into letting me do a folk music show on Saturday nights called Shades of Folk. My, my wife was my engineer, and uh, considering I had just returned from Vietnam, I played a lot of protest songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pete Seeger, Phil Oaks, Tom Paxton, and a whole bunch of others. You alluded earlier to uh, there not being a lot of rock and roll on the station at the time, but some of the stuff I'm sure that you were playing was 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 pretty strong stuff, especially if it's you know the artists that you're talking about and the protest music. Um, how did that go over? And did you tell Jeff or anybody what your ideas were beforehand? Well, that wasn't considered rock and roll. It was sure. considered folk music. And uh, when I had been there before, there was a folk music show on the air. Gil Spence, I think was his name. And he and Dave Vieser uh, worked together. Mm. Dave Vieser went to WGBB from Hofstra and then uh, became a PR guy with the Long Island Railroad. Mm which has nothing to do with radio. But he was he was a very popular DJ at WGBB. Hmm. I guess what I was getting to before with the with the the music is that um you know this is this is protest music and and I'm sure you had some things to say uh about the Vietnam War. Was there any worry about making anybody at the university upset or the listeners or was there any feedback for that kind of music? No, no. In fact, um, it was right after I moved here to, to, to Florida around 1996, I was on a, uh, a website that was related to my high school, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I, I had a... Uh, a format set up and I got a message from this guy that said, I used to listen to shades of folk and Hofstra back in whenever it was. And he lived in Uniondale mm-hmm. and he remembered me. He remembered my name. <laughs> it was unbelievable. That must've been a great feeling. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I thought nobody ever listened to us, you know, I figured we, we barely made it outside of Hofstra with the the wattage we had in those days. 
Well, Union Uniondale's not too far down the road, but uh, yeah, right. there's plenty Uniondale, of people that right listen that, sure. that never reached out or never called, but uh, you find out later on. Uh, that's that's a great story. Do you remember coming back um, to Hofstra? You mentioned going to Cortland, um, and then you came back to Hofstra. Do you remember what that was like? Do you remember um, you know your expectations for getting back on the air? I don't know. We we just uh, I think we just went down there to hang around one time because we still knew a lot of people that that worked there, and uh, I said, hey, you know, you could use a folk music show on Saturday night, and that's when I I got that. But that's pretty neat that you were able to come back and people knew you and and you were welcome back into the into the community like that. That's really great. Oh yeah, yeah. I did make a, I did make an enemy of somebody. The, the, there was a young lady that did a uh, country music show, and it followed mine. And uh, I I made a comment one time about stay tuned for Alice, who's going to be doing country music. And then I played a uh, from the two thousand year old man, and it said I said something about country music, and then played this thing, and it said. Go hey, pulley. <laughs> I don't think she talked to me at all after that. <laughs> but I didn't see her that much, so that was all right. Well, it, uh, you know, using two thousand year old man as, as as a comedy, but that's I, it doesn't get better than that. So I don't, I can't understand why she would have been upset. I would have, I would have been <laughs> thrilled. But <laughs> yeah, well, that was that was one of my favorite. We call them goof carts. We had things like that on, on cartridges, you know. That was one of my favorites. That's fun. I wish I could get a copy of it now. Mm. I could use it in my in my karaoke shows. <laughs> There's probably a way. There's probably a way. I'm sure someone out there could help you out with that. Uh, yeah. That's great. Um, so you, in either case, in, in your first stint at the station or, or when you came back, who else was around that was that was helpful or, or gave you good advice or, or you know maybe other shows that you liked listening to? Everybody was helpful. You know, if you needed help with anything or you didn't know how to do something, you, there's always somebody who would help you out. Um, if you did something... Uh, in master control that you weren't supposed to do, Ted Ronneberger would probably help you out the door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, he was he was a little bit tough about you know being around the equipment. But uh, other than that, and and Ted was a was a great guy too. I mean, a lot of laughs. So if you could go back to you know, that, that moment or that, that, that day or that week when, when you stumbled upon WVHC and you went down those, those stairs, what did you, what do you think at that moment in time, at that, at that age, what did you hope Hofstra Radio would be? And then what did it become to you? I don't know. I just, I, I, I wanted to experience, uh, having something to do with the radio station, you know, being um, involved in a radio station. And I, you know, I'm, I'm still like that. I, you know, I, I got involved in when I first moved here in, in karaoke. Uh, 
I'd never sung solo before. And uh, I got to be a karaoke junkie. I, I, I've done shows now. I've got, um, I've got a drive for my computer that's got like 200,000 songs on it. Oh my. Wow. So, it, you know, it's, I'm, I'm still doing DJ stuff. So I guess it was just it was just there. It was just looking for for you were just looking for an opportunity to you know have some fun and be around the music and and meet some fun people. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah, that's it, and and it was it was fun. Hmm. And it seems like the station became so much more than than just a place to hang out and just something to do fun. Yeah, I I don't know. It was uh, it's probably the the number one driving force in my life at that time. I I. I didn't enjoy what I was doing in classes and uh, I don't know what I was planning for the future, but, and then I, you know, I fell in love with somebody down there and got married later on. And unfortunately that didn't last. (laughs) Sorry to hear that. Yeah. Can I ask how you two met or was there a specific story about how you met at the station? She came down the stairs with with another lady. Uh, I think it was a friend of hers and uh, Les Bear. I don't know if he brought them down, but they were all together when they came down the stairs. If if more than two people come down the stairs at one time, they all look like they're together, right. you know, in that stairway. But uh, uh, we just started hanging out together and uh we'd go to studio d together and studio d was was the hangout bills meadowbrook mm-hmm. after after we uh we got done at the station and i asked her to meet me in hawaii and we got married that's uh that's quite an invitation oh yeah yeah we had uh steve rosenfeld was there he was my best man and uh, he he just came to play golf, so we got we got married, and then he went off and played golf, and we never saw him again the whole time there. Well, I guess if it's your honeymoon and you're headed for Vietnam, I guess it's the best thing to do to get out of the way. Well, mainly because it was the honeymoon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we spent a lot of that time uh, shopping for things. I was taken back to Vietnam with me, mm. so... A lot of it was music. Yeah, yeah. Audio tapes. I had a tape recorder. So it's it's that it's that thread of music that goes all through your life and all these different things that you did. I guess it's uh, it it was and still is very important to you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, now I do. Uh, I've done a couple of shows with a friend of mine. He does Elvis impersonations, and he asked me to come and do Neil Diamond, and I've done some Neil Diamonds with him. We did about three shows, three or four shows. Sounds like a lot of fun. Well, Rick, this was this was fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your stories, and uh, I, I really appreciate your time and your memories. And uh, I'll come up with some more questions, and hopefully, you've got a few more stories. Yeah, and now we know how to hook the computers up. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, and what you're doing is great too. I. Um, I wish you a lot of luck with it. Thank you. Thank you. I greatly appreciate it.